Well, good evening. I like to tell you on Wednesday nights uh, how much I appreciate the fact that you choose to be here on Wednesday nights. In fact, uh, you're, you're my heroes, really. I, I mean, there's so much that you all have going on throughout the week, and to stop in the middle of your week and to be here or to tune in online, it says so very much about you. So I just want you to know that you're my heroes. I look up to, to you so very much for making your church family and making Bible study and worship a priority in your life. And I, I tell you, I love you too. I love you and I appreciate you. Uh, we're, we're talking about the book of James and thinking about how incredibly relevant and practical this book is for our lives, how very similar, I think, the audience to whom James is writing, I, I think it's so similar to the way we are in so many ways, and so there's so much that is relevant in this book. And I think one of the things that might surprise people in the world, I think that if somebody didn't have a whole lot of familiarity with Scripture, and they were to sit down with the New Testament, and maybe if they kind of came in with sort of a blank slate, and they just kind of read the New Testament, I think they might be surprised. They might be surprised that the New Testament doesn't tend to paint religious people in a positive light. I mean, that's kind of shocking, isn't it? It's kind of weird that a religious book would generally not paint religious people in a positive light. I mean, you think about the gospel accounts, who are the primary bad guys in the gospel accounts? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the, the temple priests. And, I mean, you've got all of the religious leaders that are out to get Jesus. And then the people that it sort of paints in a very positive light are people like tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And these are the people that are receptive, that listen, that want to hear what the Messiah says, that repent of their sins. And it's the religious people that say, I don't want to hear that. That's nonsense. That's not what we've always taught. That's not what we believe. We're not going to listen to you. And, and the religious people tend to be the ones who are not listening and not receptive. And I think that what we see in those religious people is what, if we're honest, we can often see in ourselves. That for so many people, religion becomes about talking and debating and thinking about things, right? I don't know about you, I don't know how everybody grew up, but if you grew up in a religious house, or you grew up being religious, and, you, and religion was a big part of your life, you might have grown up thinking about religion that way, that religion is primarily what we do at the church building. Religion is something we primarily do on Sundays and Wednesdays, maybe before meals or things like that. It's, it's primarily about saying prayers. It's primarily about believing the right things. It's primarily about debating with other people and telling them how they're wrong about what they believe and how I'm right about what I believe. It's primarily about what we say and what we think and what we believe and how we debate and how we tell other people they're wrong. And it's very easy for religion to become that to become something that we just think about and talk about and debate about. It's something that is primarily intellectual. And maybe even if you didn't grow up religious, and that wasn't your experience growing up, even if you came to religion later on in life, it's still easy to sort of slip into that, isn't it? Where religion for us is just things we think about and talk about and debate about. It's primarily an intellectual exercise. 
And that is exactly the kind of people to whom James is writing. And that's exactly the problem that he's dealing with in this lesson. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 1, starting tonight in verse 19. And I love the way James begins this, this book. I, I think it's, it's, it's brilliant as a, as a preacher, as a teacher. I think that the way he says this and kind of preempts what might come if he didn't say this is incredibly genius, and obviously he's also inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, we could apply that statement, and maybe you've heard that statement your whole life, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and we could apply that to all sorts of situations, but typically we tend to apply that to interpersonal relationships, right? We say, well, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. That's pretty good advice, but, but what, what James is primarily talking about in this context, and we'll see it here in just a second, he's primarily talking about when you hear the word of God taught to you, when you sit down and you hear a lesson from God's word, when, when someone is teaching you, here's what you need to do. You need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because if you don't follow this formula, you won't learn. You won't become who you need to become if you don't follow this formula. Think about how we tend to respond to sermons or to Bible classes or to teachings or things that we hear. Maybe somebody says something to us and we say, well, I don't, I don't think that or here's what I think or here's my opinion and we, we're very quick sometimes to speak, aren't we? Opinion, or here's what I think about that or here, here think about this or, or here's another way to say that and, and we, we're very quick to speak and he says, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. Before you say anything, listen, listen because you're not going to become who you need to become and you're not going to learn what you need to learn and you're not going to have the righteousness that you need to have you're not going to live out the righteousness of God if you're so quick to speak. You've got to be quick to hear and slow to speak. You know, it's funny. Some of my favorite responses after a sermon or after a class are things like this. I really don't know what to think about what you said tonight. I'm going to have to chew on that for a little bit. I love that. I love that. I love when somebody says, I don't know, but I'm going to have to think about that. I would so much rather somebody say that than say, well, here's my opinion. Whoa, 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 stop, just stop. Just give it a few minutes to marinate, right? Because if this is true, if this is true, it, it might very well contradict something you believe. We're very quick to, to measure things that way, aren't we? When we hear something that maybe we haven't heard before or something that maybe goes against what we, we believe, we're very quick to to measure it in terms of do I agree or do I disagree? That's not really the question. Do you agree or do you do? Is it true? Because if it's true, it doesn't matter if I disagree with it because it's true. And the only way you're going to know if it's true is if you're quick to 
listen, to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to become what? Angry. Because it is impossible, I'm convinced, it's impossible to learn when you're angry. It's impossible to learn when you're angry. But sometimes, sometimes the truth that we need to hear, that's our initial response, isn't it? And we will, we, we, we will justify ourselves all day long. We'll say, well, I don't like the way he said it. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. We, we get really upset and really angry. But maybe just entertain the possibility, just the possibility that maybe, maybe why we're getting angry when we hear that truth proclaimed, why we're getting angry when somebody says that is because it's stepping on our toes and we need to change something in our life. And our anger is a defense mechanism against the painful reality and truth. And so James says, before he really gets into the meat of what he's going to say in this book, he says, be quick to hear Slow to speak and slow to become angry because the anger of God. He says in verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Maybe the reason I get angry when that teacher says that, or when my spouse says that, or when the Bible class teacher says that, or when my neighbor says that, and they, they're trying to teach me something, maybe the reason I get angry is because there's a sin in my heart, and it's stepping on that sin. And my sin is outraged that it's being called out, and it's being exposed. But maybe that's exactly what needs to happen. And James says, if you're, if you're going to walk righteously then you're going to have to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, and you're going to have to receive with meekness the implanted word. This word meekness, it can be defined this way, the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. I like that. Let me say it one more time. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Receiving with meekness is about receiving with humility, isn't it? And only humble people can learn. Only humble people can learn. That's why I always say that one of the hardest things to teach is humility. Because the people that really need it think they already have it. Right? Proud people think they are humble. Proud people don't think they're wrong. Proud people don't think they need to learn anything. Proud people say, I'm right and you're wrong. But humble people, humble people, even when they're right, are willing to accept the possibility or entertain the possibility that maybe, just maybe, I'm wrong. And James says, if your soul is going to be saved, you have to receive with meekness the implanted word. You're going to have to really listen and you're going to have to get beyond your initial gut reaction of just getting mad and getting angry because you don't agree or that steps on your toes or, or that's not what you've always been taught or that's not what you believe or, or that person really offended you. You're, you're going to have to stop and listen and don't say anything and don't get angry for a minute. Just 
let the implanted word go to work on you. But in order to do that, we have to get rid of the filthiness and the wickedness, and we have to adopt a spirit of meek. Meek people, meek people are people that in a, in a physical sense, right? Meek people in a physical sense are those that like turn the other cheek, right? That's meekness, turn the other cheek, forced to go a mile, go an extra mile. The meek will inherit the earth. So in a physical sense, a meek person doesn't seek vengeance or retaliation. But it's possible for our ego to be wounded, isn't it? And that's what meekness is. Meekness allows my ego to be wounded without retaliating. And that's really hard, isn't it? And James, through the Spirit, is incredibly brilliant here because he's going he's gonna to tell him some things that are really hard to hear. And he says, if you're going to hear these and you're going to be saved, you're going to have to receive this word with meekness and you're going to have to be quick to hear and you're going to have to be slow to speak and you're going to have to be slow to anger. And church, that's, that's the spirit and the attitude that we need to put on every time we open up scripture. Every time we open up scripture, every time we listen to a lesson, every time a family member, so that's the hardest sometimes, isn't it? We can come to church and listen and say, yeah, you're right, preacher, amen, I need to change my life. And then our family member says, you need to change. And we say, who do you think you are? You can't talk to me that way. You know, sometimes, sometimes it, it's who, who is telling us. And if somebody is telling us the truth, if somebody's telling us the truth, if they're bringing to us a word from God, then we have to be slow to speak we have to be slow to get angry. We have to be quick to listen. We have to have a spirit of meekness. But it can't, it can't stop with just hearing. It can't stop with just hearing. It can't stop with just listening. He says this, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I just kind of want to stop for a second right there. Deceiving yourselves. If you're married, you've probably deceived your spouse, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Tried to make them think that you're better than you are. If you're a parent, maybe you've deceived your children, maybe you've deceived your employer or your employee. We deceive people intentionally and unintentionally all the time, but the, the person that we deceive the most is ourselves, isn't it? The person we deceive the most is ourselves. And he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. How are you deceiving yourself when you, you're just a hearer and not a doer? That's, that's the problem with most religious people, isn't it? Because we've convinced ourselves we know what's right and we know what's good and we know what's true. But do you do it? That's the question. Do you do it? Religious people, we have the tendency to pat ourselves on the back because we know the right answers. But it doesn't stop there. It's not enough to just know the right answers. You have to do the right thing. He says, be doers of the word, not just hearers, because when you're a hearer and not a doer, you have this tendency to deceive yourselves and pat yourselves on the back as if, as if you're doing the right things just because you know the right things. We, we become experts on knowing the word of God, but not necessarily experts on doing the word of God. He says in verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he forget he looks for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. That's what a mirror does, isn't it? A mirror reveals what is true. It, it reveals reality. Sometimes we like what we see. Sometimes we don't like what we see. I've never really liked what I've seen when I looked in the mirror, but it reveals reality. This is reality. But it's, it's one thing to, to realize this is reality, this is truth, and then to walk away and forget, forget what we saw. And we do that all the time, don't we? We do that all the time. We do that when we open up Scripture. We have our morning Bible reading, and we get out with Bible, and we read the Bible, and we say, oh, that's true, and that's good, and that convicts me, and I need to change. Or we come to Bible class, and we're, we're convicted. We need to make some changes in our life. Or we, we hear a sermon, and we say, I need to make some changes in my life. Or maybe a family member confronts us, and we, we decide we need to make some changes in our lives. Or we just come to a realization by looking at the world and say, ah, I don't like how I'm doing this, and we're convicted. But it, it's worthless to be convicted if we're not converted. It's worthless to be convicted of something if we're not converted, if there's no change. Because we can just keep getting convicted over and over and over and over again, can't we? And I know it's exactly the trap I fall into. Where I could say, you know what, that, yeah, I need to, I really struggle with that. That's one of our, that's one of our buzzwords, isn't it? A struggle. I struggle with that. I struggle with that. Okay? How you doing? Like, are you making progress with that struggle? Like, how is that struggle better today than it was last year? If you keep doing the same things over and over again, you're probably going to get the same results. It's worthless to be convicted if we're not converted. And we need to start making some changes in our life. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I mean, James is saying over and over again to, to this group of religious people, yeah, you know a bunch of stuff, and you love to talk, and you love to teach, and you love to say things, but you're deceiving not me, not God. You're deceiving yourselves. And you look into the law of liberty, but then you don't persevere in it and do what it says. And I love the way he calls it the law of liberty. The law of liberty. When we think about law, we don't think about liberty, do we? We think about restriction. We think law just holds us back. But I was thinking about, there's, there's a lot of things. Car manual is a really bad example, but that's the only one that comes to mind for me. But a, a car manual, and I say it's a bad example because I haven't read mine, and chances are you haven't read yours either. Maybe you have. But, but assuming we, we read it, we could look at it and say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, but those rules that are in that manual aren't there to restrict you. They're there so that you can operate that vehicle to its optimum performance. You can operate it in a way that gives you the most freedom so that you get the most out of it. Now, you could say, I don't care what the manual says, I'm never putting oil in this thing. You could say, I don't care what the manual says, I'm not going to put gas in this thing. What is that little gauge on the dashboard? No, it doesn't know anything. I'm never going to put gas in there. I mean, 
You can rebel like that if you want to, but eventually you're not going anywhere, right? You're not going anywhere. You can't operate this piece of machinery the way it's designed to be operated unless you operate it according to the law, according to the instructions, because the instructions teach you this is how to get the most out of it. And God wants to teach us, how do you get the most out of being human? How do you get the most out of relationships? How do you get the most out of life? How do you live forever? God doesn't want to restrict you for no reason. Even even on the roadways, when we have laws and rules about where to drive and how to drive, it's not so that you can't go anywhere. It's not so that you can't go where you want to go. It's so where everybody can get there in the best, most efficient way. And you can say, I'm not going to listen to those rules. What do they know? Why do they draw that line there? I'm just going to go over here. And then nobody's going to get where they want to go. But he says, listen, these, these rules, these instructions, this teaching, it was given to you for your liberty, for your freedom, so that you can live life to its fullest, so that you can be everything that God wants you to be. But you actually have to do it. You can't just look at it and read it and say, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, I need to memorize all of that. It's good. Memorize it. Great. But more than memorize it, do it. And it's one thing to say, that really stepped on my toes. That really convicted me. It's one thing to be convicted. We need to be converted. We need to make changes. And he says, we will be blessed in our doing. God wants to bless us. He wants us to experience his blessings. But we think about it all upside down and backwards sometimes, don't we? We just begrudgingly find, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. No, it's not even how we obey. We want to obey because in obeying, in doing what we're told, we find the greatest freedom. We find the greatest blessings. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious, again, and you'll see that throughout James, If anybody thinks this or says that or boasts about this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Man, that's convicting, isn't it? He says, if you're just boasting about your religion, You think you're religious, and your religion is just about what you're saying or what you're thinking. Your religion is just intellectual about what you know or what you believe, and you're not actually doing it. He says it's what? Worthless. Worthless. Not religion is worthless, but this kind of religion is worthless. This kind of religion is in vain. This kind of religion that's just an intellectual exercise that doesn't actually change how we treat our neighbor, how we treat our enemy, how we live our life, what we do day in and day out. If it's just something that you're talking about and just something you're thinking about and it's not actually changing you, it's worthless. It's in vain. Verse 27, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, self-made religion, 
religion that, that we have a tendency to slip into or that we create for ourselves, religion that doesn't come from the Father, religion that doesn't come from the Son, religion that doesn't come through the Spirit, religion that we make up. And we love to make up religions, don't we? We love ritual and ceremony. We love knowing more than someone else and telling somebody else they're wrong. See, that's what self-made religion does. Self-made religion has a tendency to discipline others and excuse self, right? Self-made religion disciplines others and excuses self. It says, well, but I've got a lot of good excuses for why I did what I did. And I'm not perfect, but, you know, I've got a lot of good excuses. There's a loophole for me, but for you, there's no loophole. That's what self-made religion does. Self-made religion, the way Jesus talks about it is you've got a beam, and I love the metaphor, right? I love this idea of somebody walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of their face, and they're looking at somebody else with a tiny speck in their eye, and they say, hey, let me take that speck out. No, get the beam out of your eye. But that's what self-made religion does. That's what we have the tendency to do, is to discipline others and excuse ourselves. But on the other hand, Pure and undefiled religion blesses others and disciplines self. Isn't that what he says? He says, here's pure and undefiled religion before the Father. It is to visit the the widows and the orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Discipline yourself and bless others. That's what true religion does. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus is to discipline yourself and bless others, to to live to, to bless others, especially those who can't take care of themselves, the widows and the orphans and the sojourners and the poor and the the hurting and the, the people that need your help and need your blessings. But if if religion is just something you think about, if religion is just something you talk about. If religion is just something you debate about, it's worthless. If you're you're using religion to excuse yourself and to discipline other people, it's worthless. But, but religion can be pure and undefiled. Your relationship with God can be pure and undefiled. It can change you and it can bless the world. But this is how you have to exercise pure and undefiled religion. To bless others and to discipline yourself. Think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. Do you remember he says, when the Son of Man comes to judge, he says it's going to be like separating the sheep and the goats. And the sheep, he's going to say, you you visited me. You fed me. You clothed me. I was in prison and you came to me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And they're going to say, when did, when did we do that? I don't remember seeing you. When did we do that? And he says, as much as you did it to the little ones, you did it to me. As much as you did it for the, for the widows and the orphans, you, you did it for me. And then to the goats, he's going to say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't come and visit me. Depart from me. I never knew you. And of course, they're confused because they're religious people. And they thought a lot about religion and they talked a lot about religion and they preached a lot about religion and they thought they were practicing religion, but they weren't taking care of the people in need. And Jesus says, if, if it hasn't changed you, 
If you're not actually caring for the widows and the orphans, if it's just something you're thinking about and talking about and debating about and preaching about, listening to, but you're not actually doing it, then Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't have a relationship with me. We don't have a partnership if you're not going out and, and doing what needs to be done and making the changes that you need to make, which, of course, brings us back to meekness. Meekness, right? Receiving the word with meekness. Disciplining ourselves. Getting rid of the wickedness. Getting rid of the defilement. Keeping oneself unstained from the world. It goes back to being quick to listen, being slow to speak, and being slow to get angry and receiving this word with meekness. In fact, here's how I would say it. Long to be shown where you're wrong and grow once you know. I like rhymes. Long to be shown where you're wrong and grow once you know. But that's not what we tend to do, is it? We don't tend to long to be shown where we're wrong. We want to be shown where we're right. We love, we love fire and brimstone preaching, don't we? We love somebody that's going to really just lay it on thick. But we like fire and brimstone preaching that's about somebody else's sins, right? Not my sins. Don't talk about my sins like that. But James says, no, no, if, if your soul is going to be saved, if you're going to be transformed, if your religion is going to be pure and undefiled, then you have to get over the anger and your, your inclination to say something and to disagree, and you need to receive this word with meekness and be willing to change. Long to be shown where you're wrong. And, and then grow once you know. Once you know, actually make some changes. Do what needs to be done. Walk in this law of liberty. You've been set free from condemnation. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. You're free. You're forgiven. You're walking in grace. Now walk in it. Don't sit in it. Walk in it. Enjoy it. Live life. Jesus has shown you what's good. Jesus has shown you what's right. Jesus has shown you how to love your neighbor. He's shown you how to love your enemy. He's shown you how to love your brothers and sisters. He's shown you what love looks like. Now go do it and you'll be blessed in your doing. You'll be blessed in your doing. Long to be shown where you're wrong. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me how I could do better, Lord. Show me how to walk. And then once we know then grow, then, then change. Not, not out of fear, but out of love for him and desire to do what's right and, and even a desire to be blessed. There is great blessing in doing what we're told. We bless others and we discipline ourselves and in doing that, we ourselves are blessed. There's a proverb it's probably one of my favorites. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1. I should have put it up on the screen, but I didn't. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. That, that's hard in and of itself, isn't it? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I could say that right now because there's not little kids in here, but it's exactly what it says, and I need to hear it. He who hates reproof is stupid. 
it's stupid to hate reproof. We should want to be rebuked. (laughs) I'm still working on that. I don't know about you, but I'm still working on that. Where I want to be rebuked. I want to be shown where I'm wrong. I don't understand this. Show me how to understand it better. I'm not doing this. Show me how to do better. Show show me where I'm making a mistake. Show me where I, I have a misunderstanding. Rebuke me, reprove me, teach me, discipline me. I I want to walk in a way that's well-pleasing to God. He who loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And James's audience, they had a tendency to be stupid, a tendency to want to be teachers when they needed to be students, a tendency to want to speak when they should be listening, a tendency to want to be angry when they should have been meek. And I fit well in that audience. How about you? Because it's really easy for me to be a philosopher, a talker, a debater, rather than a doer and a disciple of Jesus. So let's go from here this this week and, and know that we've been set free. Know that we are forgiven and we have the grace and the mercy of God, but we've been set free not to just believe certain things, but to do them. Let's pray. Father God, we are incredibly thankful for your grace and your mercy that you continue to be patient with us, even though, Father, we are often stupid. We often refuse to be rebuked. We often hate to be rebuked. We often get angry when we should be meek. We often speak when we should listen. Help us, Father, to listen well and help us, Father, to do once we know what is pleasing to you. Father, we pray that you give us more time to be who you're calling us to be, that we and that others may be blessed in the doing. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.